Open up your Bible. I want you to read along with me. We're going to read the first um, eight verses in Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. The whole chapter is about being the body of Christ. And so I have a two-part message. The first half of it's this morning. The second half is going to come the week after Christmas, just before we begin our fast in, in the new year. And uh, so being the body of Christ, part one this morning. And I want to talk about identity, our identification as the body of Christ, our identity with the body. So when you have found Romans 12 and verse 1, just look up and I'll know that you're ready. And we'll begin. All right, praise the Lord. Paul writes, Therefore I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive and holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service, your spiritual worship, another translation says. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober discernment, as God has distributed to each of you a measure of faith. For just as in one body we have many members, and not all the members serve the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members who belong to one another. And we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If that gift is prophecy, that individual must use it in proportion to his or her faith. If it is service... He must serve. If it is teaching, he must teach. If it is exhortation, he must exhort. If it is contributing or giving, he must do it with simplicity. If it is leadership or ruling, he must do it with diligence. And if it is showing mercy, he must do it with cheerfulness. Join me one more time as we pray at the beginning of this message. Father, according to your gift in me, may I sow your word into good ground today. Grant your people ears to hear and hearts of understanding to receive your word with willingness to produce fruit. Amen. Amen. Now the whole purpose of this message is simple. It's to identify yourself with the body of Christ by becoming and doing what you hear, what you're about to hear in this message. And what you hear both this morning and in the second part of the message on December 30th will help you write your faith charter for 2019. So if you've been wondering, what am I going to project? As I pray and ask the Lord to project a vision of me in the next year, what God wants me to grow into how he wants to develop me, and I write that out as my faith charter, what can I possibly be thinking of? This message this morning and the 
second part to it coming on the 30th will help to just open your mind to some thoughts that God has given through the Apostle Paul about being the body of Christ. So let's get started. Let's start at the first verse. Paul opens up by saying, Therefore I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, pleasing to God, for that is your reasonable service or your spiritual worship. So the first thing that Paul says, the starting point is, give yourself to God because he owns you. And the fact that he said present your body specifically has specific meaning. Because when we give ourselves to God or we think about giving ourselves to God, too often it's an emotional or a mental thing. In other words, um, I'll give my problems to God. While our body's off living, carrying us through the world, living whatever life, we are mentally or emotionally committing ourselves to God. But here the Paul, Apostle Paul says, or the Holy Spirit through Paul says, present your body and the life that you're living in your body, present that to the Lord. Now the word present is an interesting word because it literally means to stand beside or to exhibit. And I went recently, my granddaughter was um, hosting an exhibit that she had developed and some of the students at uh, St. Pete College had, had uh, assignments to create these exhibits. And you've seen them if you go to a science fair or something like that. And so if you, as you went through the, the room and you saw the various exhibits standing beside them were the exhibitors or the people that created them. And so you are standing beside your exhibit or you're exhibiting and you're there to answer questions. This is what my exhibit means. This is how I did it. This is the intention. So you're speaking for yourself. You're presenting yourself, basically. And so when Paul says, present your body as a sacrifice to God, he's using that word. To present your life, your, your body and the soul and spirit that reside in it, before God and talk to God about your life. Be ready to explain, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. This is where I'm at. Present your body. And he describes it as your reasonable service. So in another translation, that phrase, reasonable service, is actually translated spiritual worship. Now, if I were to say to you, we're going to take 10 minutes and we are going to worship spiritually, you'd probably find a quiet place, maybe get on your knees, get in a into some kind of physical, spiritual uh, posture. And you might pray in tongues or do something spiritual or you know, kind of roll your eyes up in the back of your head and, and just sort of go to that place, you know, because you're worshiping spiritually. But spiritual worship and reasonable service are the same thing. So when you get up out of that prayer stance and you go out and live your life, that's worship to God. You see, in the kingdom of God, worship and service are two sides of the same coin. God sees them as two faces of the exact same experience. So basically, your reasonable service or your spiritual worship is your full dedication of your life, including your body, to God, to serve Him. And God receives that 
as worship, and he doesn't consider it to be exceptional. We find people who make great sacrifices, they give their time, they give their energies, they literally bend and mold their lives to whatever God's will is in their life, and we say, well, that is an exceptional person. They must be called to the ministry. And uh, so we see that as exceptional, but God calls it reasonable. He doesn't see it as exceptional. He actually believes that the person who got saved three months ago should be doing that. And that all of us should just out of, just reasonably offer up and surrender our lives to him. And so worship, if I were to say, all right, we're going to end worship and we're going to go out and we're going to work together and do something for the glory of God. We haven't really ended worship, have we? You see, worship is not mere rhetoric, throwing words up to God that he put on the pages of his word and he wants to hear those recited back to him. That's rhetoric. Now, it doesn't have to be rhetoric. True worship or spiritual service is literally the essence of your life that's committed to God, expressing through words your existence. So true worship, the essence of it, is the life that you live, not just the rhetoric or the words that you lift up to the Lord. So here's the question. If the first point that Paul's making in being the body of Christ is to give yourself to God, the obvious question is, all right, how do I do that? How do I present my body, my life, to God? That brings us to the next verse, and, and actually the next two verses. Let's read verse 2 and 3. Romans 12, 2 and 3 says, Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you can test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober discernment as God has distributed to each of you a measure of faith. So not thinking more highly of yourself is not going around with a low estimation of yourself. It's estimating yourself according to the spirit of faith that God's put in you. Paul said, I magnify my office. Paul was not in tones of arrogance, but he was confident to declare Paul the apostle of Jesus Christ. And that Paul is the one who said, I say this to you by the grace given to me. So I'm a man, Paul said, who has been thinking of himself according to the gift that God's put in my life. And so I'm speaking to you as that gift. So I have given my life to the body of Christ. So how do we give ourselves to God? The second point he's making is change the way you think. Change the way you think, you'll change the direction of your life. Thinking by worldly standards, if I could just take what Paul said in those two verses, verse 2 and verse 3, put them in the vernacular of today, I would say thinking by worldly standards conforms and subjugates you to the spirit of the world and to the laws of the world. How often we as Christians find ourselves saying, darn it, or something like that. <laughs> Why can't I get out from under this? I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be living in this cycle of defeat. The Bible says, 
you can be transformed. Transformation is to change from one form to the next, to move from one place to the next place, or to move from one form to the next form. So worldly thinking brings you underneath the power of the world. And as long as you're thinking like the world, you cannot experience the victory that's in the kingdom of God. You are conformed to the world because your thinking is in the world. But when you think according to the measure of faith that God has given you, then something wonderful happens. You conform and become subject to the laws of his kingdom. And those laws are things like whoever shall say to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. Wouldn't that be awesome to pray and get answers to declare the word of God, see it come to pass? Or when the enemy rises up against you to rob your joy, to just simply rejoice and overthrow that spirit of depression and have the, have the oil of gladness flowing in your life. Praise the Lord. See, that's, the, that's what God wants to do for us. He says, but you have to change the way you think. So thinking according to the measure of faith that God has given you doesn't refer to having belief. Some people might read that and think, okay, I'm a Christian, I'm going to change what I believe in. Those we call those tenets. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Here's the seven tenets of faith that I believe or I live by. When he says, think according to the measure of faith, he's not thinking tenets. He's, he's not thinking of having beliefs, but he's thinking of having and using beliefs that God has given you out of his word to control the way you act. That's what he literally means. When what you believe in the word of God processes through your thinking to the extent that it controls your behavior, then you are conforming to the kingdom of God. So I found it interesting that he says, give yourself to God, change the way you think, Think with sober discretion and discernment like God has distributed to you the measure of faith. Notice that the measure of faith does not begin with running out into the world to change the world. I command that mountain to move. I pray that my, my boss and my job will show me favor. I pray that this darkness that's over my city will be broken. But the measure of faith begins with changing you. Notice that when he said, think according to the measure of faith, he talks first about the conformity of your life. So that's where faith begins. It begins by changing us and how we see ourselves. It's not going to do a Christian any good to learn what God's plan is for mankind if they don't see what God's plan is for themselves. That's where the kingdom of God begins is within you. So if you're going to think according to the will of God, how shall you view yourself? The next and the rest of this chapter answers this question. So the first thing is give yourself to God completely because he owns you. Secondly, how do I do it? You begin by changing your thinking. What is it about my thinking that I should start with and what should be the center of the change in my thinking? It should be how you think about yourself. So if you're busy learning about how the Bible applies to the world and society, think this. Society will transform and change piece by piece only through people 
that see the kingdom of God developed in their own life. So how should you and I view ourselves? Let's go to verse 4 and read the next two verses. When he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, in the same breath he goes on and says, for just as in one physical body we have many parts, and all the parts don't same, uh, serve the same function, so we as Christians who are many are one body in Christ. Listen to this. And individually, we are members who belong to one another. So, see yourself as a member of Jesus' body. That's the first revelation that should take hold in a Christian's life. That's why Jesus began the prayer we call the, the believer's prayer, the Our Father, our Father instead of my Father, our Father who is in heaven. Why? Because I think as the body of Christ. I think of myself as one among many. Even when I'm alone in my prayer closet by myself, I still think of myself and see myself and estimate myself not as a solitary man, but as a member of the body of Christ. See yourself as a member of Jesus' body. That's where the starting point of your thinking that will transform your life has to begin. Now, this next sentence is going to be a little bit of a challenge for you, but I'm going to share it with you, and I want you just to take it, and uh, if you have to write it down or get the message to, to go through it to find this one sentence again, listen to it. I want you to chew on this and, and just get the essence out of it. Estimate your value according to your function in his body and not just your life in your own body. If, if you're an observer of society and of culture, you might be lamenting that many Christians and, and churches seem weak today compared to what we read about in the book of Acts where the church was so powerful and effective. Why are we not seeing that kind of impact and power flowing today? And as you lament or, or consider that, you're probably thinking, well, we live in kind of a me generation or a me world. Somehow Christians have, have become a little subverted so that when they receive Jesus, everything distills down to what have you done for me today, God? And, and how can God benefit me? And how can my life be enriched? We don't ever want to take away the truth or the fact that Jesus is a personal Savior, that he comes to redeem and to transform our lives. That's absolutely true. I would never want to hinder anybody who is a Christian from being able to run and jump into our dad's heavenly lap Say, Lord, I need you. I need your help right now. And be absolutely 100% confident that he is welcoming you and gathering you up into his, into his bosom and holding you and ministering to your needs. But I have to say, I believe that in the emphasizing of the benefits to the individual believer we have somehow overlooked or somewhat diminished the importance of each of us estimating our value based on our function in his body. 
rather than thinking of ourselves as our life in our own body. I thought about this, and it may be a peculiar way to think about it to you, but I'm going to submit it to you. I asked myself, how much as a Christian do I uh, focus my life with God based on what's going on in my physical body? Not just the physical part, but the emotional, the mental part. What's going on with me? What's going on in my life? How much of my prayer time is taken up with that? How much of my mental energies are taken up with that? I am very focused and rooted in my own being and my own body. Yet everything in Romans 12 is pushing us beyond our body to think of ourselves as an element, a function, a part of the body of Christ. He's trying to compel people whom the Lord has saved out of sin. And one thing, if it did anything, that sin does to everybody, not everybody becomes a raging alcoholic, lunatic, rapist, killer, liar, thief, uh, you know, those kinds of things. But one thing that every sinner does is they become self-absorbed, even the unselfish ones. There are a lot of unsaved people that are very giving and unselfish. But it is impossible to not know the Lord and not be self-centered or self-absorbed because that's all we know. It is the center of our universe and of our reality. And so then you come to Jesus and now you've got to think, I am more than my own body. In fact, when I do not have a healthy connection to the body of Christ, when I'm not connected to the body, when I'm just simply in myself, I am alone, apart. I'm simply, and I don't mean A-P-A-R-T, I mean A space P-A-R-T. I'm like when you go into a garage and there's the box of parts. You know, you go into an automotive garage, there's all the parts up there. When I'm not in the body of Christ, I'm simply apart. And that's why Christians can't get the full picture, the full blessing, the full impact that God wants to bring in our life if they've not joined and connected in a healthy way with the body of Christ. Because that bigger picture, that fuller experience comes through the body of Christ. Jesus is not called necessarily the head of every believer. He's called the head of the body. And we receive that headship through our connection with the body of Christ. The Bible says we are members who belong to one another. So realizing that you belong to the body of Christ more than you belong to yourself is the first step in having a transformed life. Remember, if we think according to to the measure of faith, according to the grace that God's given us, according to the measure of faith, we will have a transformative experience in our life. And that thinking begins with realizing that your ownership of me is bigger than my ownership of me. That I am property of the body of Christ. That's what Paul writes. We are members who belong to one another. Now, I hope I don't regret saying this this morning because I can just, my mind right now is saying, back up, 
back up. Don't say that. You're going to get phone calls. <clears throat> you said that you belong to me. I have some plumbing. I understand you can do plumbing. But uh, let's not get, too, let's not get uh, too abstract with this. If this doesn't become practical, if it doesn't become actual in the physical world, that's why he's using the word body. If it doesn't become practical and actual in the physical world, if it re remains just metaphorical, and then there is no real body of Christ. Now, the foot never knew its value till it met the ankle. Never knew how beautiful it was. Never knew how powerful it could be till it met the ankle. When it met the ankle, it met its purpose. It saw itself in a whole new light. Somebody say amen. amen. So let's spend the rest of our time this morning in the next uh, three verses looking specifically at the parts of the body of Christ. Beginning in verse 6, he says, And we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If the gift is prophecy, then that individual must use it in proportion to his faith. Now, the Bible is not very politically correct. I apologize that God didn't have the common decency or the proper love to express himself in non uh, gender-specific ways, and so God is crude uh, and obviously uncompassionate, non-caring, because he does use male references. Um, but the reality is, for people that are able to, to have an elevated view, that his use of the word his and him are generic and not specific just to males. So when he says his, he means his and hers. He's thinking Adam, Adam and Eve is both in there. They both came out of that one first rolled up lump of red clay. Okay, at any rate, I digress. So it says, if his gift is prophecy, let that individual use it in proportion to his faith. If it is service, then he must serve. If it is teaching, he must teach. If exhortation, he must exhort. If contributing, he must contribute and do it sincerely. If it's leadership, he must do it with diligence, and if showing mercy, then he must do it with cheerfulness. So let me just summarize that into a general statement, then I want to look just quickly at what each of these means specifically in your life and mine. Here's that this kind of um, quantifying phrase that pulls all that together. God's gift to me in my life God's gift is a function in the body of Christ. Let me say that again, and I know you didn't hear me because I didn't hear any shouting. God's gift to me is a function in the body of Christ. Now, God could have gifted you to be the most handsome or the most beautiful, the most wealthy, could have gifted you to be a, you know, a star, could have gifted you to be wide, widely talented and skilled, all those things. But the Bible, right after this, is going to describe the gifts. Every gift God's put into our life is actually a function in the body of Christ. If you're not in the body of Christ, your gift is not working. Amen. If you're not 
flowing and operating in the body of Christ. Have you got gifts? Oh, yeah. They're just not, they have nowhere to plug in. They're not functioning. You can experience them to certain measures, but they'll never fully be actualized, realized. They'll never fully, you'll never see them bloom. You'll never see them bear fruit fully and be completely deployed until the foot meets the ankle. And the ankle meets the, well, you know the song. So the first gift in the body of Christ that he mentions, and as I go through these gifts, I think there's about seven of them, these functions, if you will, I want you to think of yourself. Because as I say the things that I'm going to say concerning these next seven functions, the whole purpose is for you to identify yourself in them. You'll hear me say one of these things, or maybe more of them, and you'll go, that's in me. I have a desire for that. That percolates in my heart, in my spirit. I, I have a vision to be that way. I identify with that. If you feel that, if you see that, or you might hear it and say, I have a desire to be, I want to be that. Those desires come from God. When you hear it, just within yourself, reach out and take it. Reach out and take it. Don't push it aside. Don't dismiss it. If I get down to teaching and something rises up and you say, I love to teach. I see myself as a teacher. Reach out and take that. Say, he's talking to me. Make that one of the things that you go before the Lord as you write out your faith charter for 2019 and say, Lord, I, 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 I have a desire to be a teacher in the body of Christ. You might be sitting there before I go through these. I just want to set this up so that it's going to have an, an impact, a fruitful impact upon your life. If you're sitting as a Christian this morning saying, you're thinking not as a function of the body of Christ, but you're thinking as a member of a church. That's our problem. We think church membership rather than body membership. You see, church membership is extremely limited. What's my job? Sit. What's my job? Give a little money. What's my job? I, I kind of watch the kids for about an hour. What's my job? I play the bass, whatever. What's my job? I, I run the computer. Very, very limited. And while those jobs might pull the function that God's put in you out of you, they might be jobs through which you use the function, they are, they are related just to church. But God's talking about the body of Christ. There are millions and millions of members of the body of Christ all over the world. And God has collected them together in small and large groups and they are members in those localities of one another. And, they, and we need to realize we're members of one another. We need to encourage the gift in ourselves and in one another. How do I do that? By being God's gift in whatever ways, and I'm going to share these ways, to you. If the gift in me is prophesying, then not for my sake, but to bless you, let's get on with it. If the gift is serving, then not to serve myself, but to serve and to help you. Let's get on with it. See, that's how we draw the best out in each other, and the body grows and becomes strong. So prophesying. What is prophesying? I know you've heard prophecies, yea, thus saith the Lord. But there's more to prophesying than just that. But let me just quantify it and make it really simple. Qu prophesying. Think of it in the context of the body 
see a physical body, the body of Christ, prophesying is really God speaking to the members of his body. Hey, foot, this is the head talking. Thus saith the head, put a shoe on. There's broken glass on the floor. It's God talking to the body. You say, well, the body's always receiving him. No, receiving neurological impulses from the brain is not talking to the body. You see, many of you live in patterns of neurological impulse and go days without talking to yourself. And you need to stop yourself and talk to yourself. You need to say, self, stop just going the direction you're going. Get a grip on things. You see, you, you know, have you ever noticed that you don't refine your direction in life until you start talking to yourself? And so prophecy is God talking to the body. You know, some churches can go on months, years without ever bothering to ask, what's the Holy Spirit saying to the body? Remember in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, this is what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church at Sardis or to Philadelphia or to Laodicea. You see, God is speaking to the body, the parts of the body. Sometimes it's not the whole body. Sometimes it's a rib. Yay, you are about to bloom into a beautiful bride. Sometimes God's talking to a deep internal part that uh, most people don't see. Yay, thus saith the Lord to the spleen. I want to clean you out so that you can work or a liver or whatever. Prophecy is when God uses you to say what he wants to say to parts of the body. If you do that, wow, we need you. We need you. Think about it. I want to hear what the Lord is saying. We need you to be that gift that God's put within you. Can you say amen? amen. And it says if you're going to prophesy, do it according to the portion of faith. Why did he say that? He said that because faith sets the boundaries on what you say. And he sets much higher and bigger boundaries than your natural reasoning would say. When the spirit of prophecy comes on you, you think, I could never prophesy that. That's ridiculous. Why, they could never do that. That's natural thinking. See, but the proportion of faith, faith says whatever God says. It could, I see it in the spirit. So you prophesy according to faith. You don't go around uh, speaking for God your own rationale. You let God speak, right? Does that make sense? Okay. Let's go to the next one. If uh, the, the scripture says, if your gift is serving, serve. Hallelujah. So what is serving? I know that we have a thought, an idea of serving. And, and most of us, you know, we think of it as our starter gift. If I'm good serving for six months, I'll get promoted to singing. I go from serving to singing. Um, but that's because we don't understand what serving is. Serving, like prophecy, is not just running around picking up the trash. Serving is letting God use you to help his body the way he wants it helped. 
Serving is allowing God to serve his body through you. How awesome is that? Do we need that? Do we need Jesus serving the church? He wants to do it. So what does he do? He goes and finds people in whom he's put a heart to serve. And they rise up and do it. That's why we should love and honor people who have a passion to serve. Praise the Lord. If you wonder, well, what is service? I have a couple synonyms for you. Service means assistance, aid, providing aid, relief, bringing relief, help, comfort. That's serving. And so Jesus wants to bring aid. Jesus wants to bring comfort. And so if you see yourself and your heart just burns to serve, that's God wanting to serve his people in your life. We need you. Hallelujah. Let's go on to the next one, teaching. Teaching. If your gift is teaching, the Bible says, go to Bible school. Now, the Bible says if your gift is teaching, teach. Just teach. Now, that's, that's not to say that, that it's not a good idea to get preparation because you want to know what you're talking about if you're teaching, right? Praise the Lord. Um, but I, I only made that analogy because I, I want us to, um, to not overdevelop uh, the idea of teaching into a profession, I want you to realize that you could, be, you could have gotten saved six months ago and God can be teaching the body through you. So let me give a specific definition to teaching in this context. I believe it's instructing your fellow believers in the way of the body. It's one thing to get up and teach about God's plan for the world or to teach about his principles for society, or, or people sometimes just love to just get lost in um, uh, um, apologetics, or even better yet, just end time stuff, you know, all about we're going to, you know, study what's happening in the world and uh, eschatology and all of that. But the gift here that blesses the body is teaching people in the body what the body is and how to move in the body and how to flow in the body. It's simply educating, instructing, explaining how to be a part of the body and how to get along, teaching the way of the body. Think about it. What good is teaching if it doesn't improve the body, the relationship of the members one to another? That is the teaching that he's talking about here. The next one is exhorting. Now, maybe you're an exhorter. Maybe there's a gift of exhorting. Maybe you're one of those people that, that uh, you look around and there's something that from time to time just jumps up in you and you want to say to people, come on, get up on your feet. Let's get going. What is that? That's exhorting. Exhorting is calling the members of the body to action. What good is the body if all it does is go through routine? The, the exhorter hears the prophecy, hears the prophetic gift, 
and grabs it and says, come on, you can make it, you can do it. That's exhorting. So calling the members of the body to action, that's, that is synonymous with inviting or encouraging, imploring, or challenging. That, if you have that in your heart, please do that. The Bible says, if your gift is exhortation, would you please start doing it? We need that. Have you ever noticed that it's always positive? It's always encouragement. In fact, if I could backtrack for a moment, when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that talks all about the gifts of the Spirit and specifically the gift of prophecy, in verse 3, chapter 14 says, He that prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and comfort. See, you... I hope you understand when I say this, you need to get your head out of the Old Testament. I'm not saying we shouldn't be reading the Old Testament. But when it comes to understanding the body of Christ, um, if, in, unless you're using the Old Testament as a reference of symbolism, if you reach back into the Old Testament and you take those norms and standards and you try to walk them out today, you're putting yourself back under the law. All of those things were meant to foreshadow the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when you see those prophets in the Old Testament, you think, well, that's what prophecy is. Yea, thus saith the Lord, I'm fed up with y'all. I'm going to take my glory and remove my name from this house and write Michelob above the door. Ichabod. That is not prophesying to the body of Christ. Get yourself together. I'm about fed up with y'all. That's not prophesying. It's edification, exhortation, and comfort. It's the same with exhortation. It's encouraging people to action. The, the reason why we are weak and faltering is we think a professional should be doing this. We think, well, we pay the pastor. He's the professional exhorter. If somebody needs to be told, come on, let's go, it's his job to do it. I may be sitting there and seeing it. I may feel the need for it. And I even have the impulse jumping up in me saying, come on, people, we can do this. But it's not my place. Stop. It is your place. Yes, it's not your place if all we are is a church in the natural sense. But if we are a body as the body of Christ, then guess what? All of these functions are distributed throughout the body. We need the exhorters to get with it and do some exhorting. Can you say amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. Um, the next one, contributing, giving. It's more than just giving offerings. There is actually a function in the body of Christ called contributing. And you know, here it is. I'm going to define it for you. It is raising provision for the needs of the body and its purposes, period. Whatever it may be, whatever the needs of the body are and whatever its mission and purposes are, there are, there are gifts called gifts of contributing or gifts of giving. And they are people that sit there and they see that vision or they see that need and stuff starts percolating in their heart. They get ideas, we can raise money. They, they may have a great big old wad of money in their 
checking account, they just write a check out. That, that certainly could be part of it. But that's not all there is to it because oftentimes they may not have two nickels to rub together, but they've got an idea and they've got a burning passion in their heart to raise the money to do that. That's called gift of contributing or the gift of giving. That's an anointing. That's a gift. We need those gifts. Again, let's not rely on the professional, the church administrator, who we're going to hear from Brother Ted, who's going to speak to us for about a minute about our budget, and we need this and that in the church. And Brother Ted's going to get up because he's the treasurer or whatever, and he's going to tell you about the needs. Of no, we, let's stop relegating and pushing those jobs off on professionals and start letting the gifts of the body do the work they're supposed to do. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Yeah, man, if you're sitting there and, and we're saying, you know what, we've got this, we, we feel this uh, God speaking to us. God's telling us that we're supposed to go down to, to go down to uh, uh, um, out somewhere in the middle of Florida and reach out in this area and, and build this ministry. And you hear that and you're like, you know what, I just feel this urge. Of, I've got these ideas how we can raise the money. Jump up, go for it, do it. That gift, we need that gift. Can you say amen? And it says, if he does it, if you use that gift of giving, do it with sincerity. Now what's meant by that is, let this gift reflect God's heart towards his body. Not, oh, all right, you need more money again? Jeez, it's never going to end. You see, God delights. He's an abundant God. He delights to bless so if, you're, if you've got the gift of contributing, do it with sincerity. Hallelujah. We'll move on. Got two more. We'll cover them quickly. Ruling. The gift of ruling. I know a lot of people think, ooh, I wish I had that gift. Um, ruling or, or leadership. It's referred to leadership in, um, in this particular translation I'm using. And here's what it is, basically. Like the neurological system of the human body, leaders inform and coordinate the various parts of the body so that the body can move in harmony with the direction of the head. You can have a perfectly good mind that thinks, but if your neurological system is broken and those nerves are not communicating to your legs, you could be paralyzed or you can have dysfunction. If the brain is saying, walk this way, and you keep going the other way, or you, you're not able, the brain says, I want to say this, but the, the nerves that, 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 uh, that connect to the tongue and get the tongue to work with the air and all the other stuff, what doesn't work right, you can't speak. So leaders are nothing more than gift ministries in the body of Christ that... Uh, pull together and coordinate the parts of the body so that the body moves in harmony and in unity. So if God has, has put you in a position of leadership, whether you're in a Sunday school classroom or head over a particular ministry, whether you've got three people that look to you for your leadership or 300 people that look to you for your leadership, that's not what's important. What's important is that if you are a leader, it says you must do it with diligence. Why did 
he say leaders must be diligent because you know what happens if all of a sudden the leaders become slack and they think, you know what, I, I, I just don't want to lead right now. The body starts malfunctioning. The body needs that leadership to stay coordinated, to stay on track. And so he basically says, don't let the resistance of the world or discouragement or weariness stop you from communicating God's direction to the body. You must be diligent. You can't get carnally minded. If you're a leader, you can't get frustrated and say, I've said this a thousand times, nobody's listening. The minute you become frustrated because you're weary, or you see the bodies where you say, oh, I, I, I can't possibly you know, provide that leadership uh, right now. You know, people are discouraged. Remember, we need to work together. We need to hear together and move together. And that takes leadership. So you have to be diligent. It brings me to the final. The final gift or function in the body of Christ is that general area of showing mercy. You know, showing mercy is really nothing more than just acting with compassion and mercy towards members that have fallen into misfortune. For whatever reason, when somebody falls into misfortune and they're broken or they're hurting or they've flubbed up and they need compassion, they need mercy, Jesus wants to show mercy to that person. How does he do it? He finds somebody who's got the gift of showing mercy. If you've got that gift of showing mercy, we need you. I may not need you right now, but I might need you tomorrow. The person who has that gift of showing mercy, God is always moving on their heart, and they're seeing areas where people have fallen into misfortune, and they're helping them, or they're gathering others around them to help them. Amen? Can you see how valuable that is? Let me kind of summarize. And, and by the way, it says, those that show mercy must do it with cheerfulness. Why is that? Because God wants the people who are recipients of that mercy, that help, that grace, to know that the Lord joyously and eagerly wants to help you. And it's not grudgingly or it's not, all right, you got one more do-over. If you mess it up after this, don't come calling me. It's called showing mercy, and, and, and that's different than offering a limited number of do-overs. So I think I've already mentioned this, but just to kind of bring this around to a close, I hope that you can see that when he says, give yourself to God, do it by changing the way that you think. And change the way you think by beginning to see yourself as a function in the body of Christ. As you begin to see yourself as a function in the body of Christ, your true transformed new life will begin to emerge. And you will see and begin to prove the will of God. That is vastly different than just seeing various official ministries. We often take these functions and we assign them to professional church offices. There's the pastor over counseling. There's the pastor over complaints. 
There's the pastor over, over uh, uh, helping the downtrodden or whatever. That, it's their job. And, when we, and I don't think there's anything wrong with assigning people. Uh, hopefully, we assign people to those positions who actually really have those gifts. That's the, that's the right thing. But you don't want to let that rob the rest of the body from rising up and doing that and being that. How many of you heard things mentioned in this list this morning that you say, wow, that's in me. That's in me. That's in me. I feel that. I see that working in my life. Or how many of you heard it and said, you know what? I, I desire that. I like that. that. That is attractive to me. It attracts me. I'm interested in that particular ruling or, or showing mercy or the gift of giving. So what I want to leave you with is the idea that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, the apostle Paul said, from Christ, the whole body grows, fitted and held together through every supporting joint. As each one does his part, the body grows together in love. So I'm a part, Terry's a part, but the strength that builds the body in love doesn't come from Terry or me. It comes from us joining together. Every joint supplies the strength. So here's our altar call this morning. Back to the beginning in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this present world, but transform by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove and experience the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing. As you ask the Holy Spirit today and in the days to come to help you change your mind and think as a member of the body of Christ, your life will transform into a manifestation of God's perfect will. That's what the promise of the word is. Hallelujah. So I'd like you to close your Bible and stand with me this morning. And I'd like us to, I, I want to pray for our leadership uh, this morning, and, and I'm going to call the, the gentleman to come up in just a moment. But before we do, I'd like to pray with each of you collectively that whatever is stirred in your heart uh, through this message, that you'll not forget it, that it will pursue you and it'll stir on the inside. And, and what you haven't yet seen, God will begin to reveal to you your function in the body so that you can pursue it. Heavenly Father, thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you operating in our life, in each of us, the same Holy Spirit resides, have brought us together in wonderful gifts and functions. I pray that, Lord, each of us will reach out and discover who we are in our function in the body so that we can truly walk in fulfillment and be happy, making others happy, building the body up in love, so the world can see Jesus. Oh, if the body of Christ were to really truly be the body of Christ, we would be so much farther. We'd see so much more. Help us, Lord, to begin to bring our thinking newly into this concept.
In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like Marty, Terry, Jesse, and Antonio to come up. I want to pray over them, and I want you to join me. So I pray over them. Let's, and, and any of you that would like to come up, and like, just gentlemen, if you'll just kind of come and stand here. Um, if you'd like to join me in praying over them, uh, please feel free to come. I just want to take a moment, and the reason why is because these guys are not on staff. They are just simply members of the body. And there are gifts that God's put in them like He's put in you. And we want to pray over them first because we need those gifts to operate in their life. We need them to help the rest of us get our gifts flowing and operating. And one of the best ways to do it is just to recognize, just to speak and encourage one another and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, you know, I've seen that gift flowing in you. That's wonderful. That's awesome. Let me tell you what the Lord's put in my heart to share with you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. If you'll stretch out your hands, I want to pray for Pastor Marty. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.